Welcome to Real Native Roots, Untold Stories, a podcast by Native women with deep roots. Yat a, yat a, yat a. Hello, hello, hello. This is your host, Vicki Oldman. I am smiling ear to ear. Today, I feel great. I'm happy. I'm just blessed to have another day on this plane. I had a wonderful morning with my youngest son, and I'm just, I'm just in a good space. I'm just really just thankful for everything that I have, you know, that I'm thankful that I can see with my eyes, I can hear, I can taste, I can feel. I'm thankful for my feet that carries me. Oh, this little bird came to the window and I'm thankful for that little bird. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I'm feeling. So hopefully you can feel my smile and um, feel how warm my heart is and I I have much to be grateful for. So as you know, I've been on this little journey with reading poems. I love them and find them so just deep, right? And like you can sit with one for such a long time and really unpack it. And so I'm going to read one. And it's from the same book that I've been reading to you all, Amber's One's Ojibwe Meditation. And so this one I felt like was appropriate. It really spoke to me, particularly once I introduce our guests. I'll I'll tell you why. I'll transition to that. Okay, so let me read this to you. Here it goes. And and this actually is like a it's it's like a dialogue between it says me and then the other one says old woman. So it's a dialogue between the author and an old woman. Okay. So it starts off this way. Me, you always repeat things three times, old woman, just the important things. Me, why, I hear you the first time, old woman, no, you listen the first time, you hear the second time, and you feel the third time. Me, I don't get it, old woman. When you listen, you become aware. That's for your head. When you hear, you awaken. That's for your heart. When you feel, it becomes a part of you. That's for your spirit. Three times, it's for you. It's so, excuse me, it's so you learn to listen with your whole being. That's how you learn. Mm, I love this. I really do. (laughs) And it made me, you know, I really try to find poems that somewhat is connected to why I want to bring the guests on, or maybe it's about where I'm at. And it spoke to me because our guest, who I'm going to introduce in just a minute, I heard her speak, I want to say last week or two weeks ago, you know, And she said so much that it was a lot to process and I wanted to unpack more. And so I heard her the first time, right? And I get the honor to to listen to her the second time. And so that poem spoke to me. I'm like, oh, this is so beautiful. I met this beautiful woman, very humble, very just, anytime I'm on a call with her, I just want to always hear her opinion. (laughs) When we're doing uh, 
whatever we're doing, a brainstorming, organizing, planning, whatever, whatever we're doing, I'm always curious what she has to say because I really believe she has so much wisdom. And it's, you know, I know all of us have had people like that in our lives where you're always just wanting to hear first from someone. I feel like I'm thirsty. And when she's talking, it just fills me. That's how I feel when I listen to her. So my guests here, I've been practicing, but I probably won't do it well. And that's okay. I'm learning, right? This beautiful woman, her name is Valerie Nouveau-Yestua. <laughs> and uh, she can correct me when she gets on. She is Hopi Tiwa and from the Tiwa village. And she currently uh, works in this space where it's a family-initiated environmental grassroots organization. And it's beautiful in how she describes the work that they do. They, they really are about, you know, um, not talking about the work, but doing the work. So they're, they are cleaning like the mesas from top to bottom in the area, really trying to be good stewards to the environment and do their best to educate young people and I love that they really try to bring wisdom of the elders to the forefront. Her family that join her in this meaningful work when they come together to really cultivate sort of awareness in their community to really uplift intergenerational learning that includes passing on life skills to any young person who is willing to listen and learn and get their hands dirty. <laughs> so she does that and she's busy. Like she's an alumni with the Hopi Leadership Program. She's involved with the Hopi Farmers Market. She is a leader and sits on a board, is also on an advisory board. She does a lot. And what brings her most joy though, is spending time with her family in the fields and in the garden. So without further ado, would love for you all to meet this beautiful woman. Valerie, say hi to folks. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me on this uh, podcast. I was really honored when you first asked me, and I kept thinking to myself, what does she want to know more about me? <laughs> I feel like there's not a lot to know about me. I'm, I'm really just straightforward. What you see is what you get. <laughs> <laughs> but um, let me well, introduce. I like what I see. <laughs> <laughs> so my name is Valerie Nivayestiwa, and I'll introduce myself in Tewa. Na poke kuyo ganaka, na kulutoa, na anu angota, na via talize ganaka, na vitada sakungbaya ganaka. My name is Poke Kuyo, which means the mother of the Katsinas. And in Hopi, you say you say it hahai imana. So that's my name. My English name is Valerie Nevice too, and and you didn't butcher it too bad, so you're fine. Yes, Tewa Corn Clan from Tewa Village, half Hopi and I'm half Tewa. My mother is Yellow Parrot, and her English name is Evangeline Nevice And my father, his name means green tobacco growing in a row, and his English name is Leon Nevice I have five uh, daughters and I have one son and I also have four grandchildren. So that's me. Mm, beautiful. 
I love that. You know, the one thing I love about our language, you know, our, our native language is, is so descriptive, right? Like the names and in the clans, they, it just is so beautiful and descriptive. And then when we, yeah, so I just want to thank you for sharing that. Yes. And, I, you are and I just, grow- go ahead. I just wanted to add to what you were saying. I'm sorry for interrupting you. Is that when I was at a conference somewhere, I can't remember where it was at, but they told us that we aren't our names. You know, that's that we're so much more than our names. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, no, in Hopi, we are our names or we strive to be what we're named. So um, in in saying that, I, I want to uphold who I am, who I'm named after, the mother of the Kachinas, which is what I, I, I was, when I first was named that, I was like, are you sure you want to name me that? <laughs> Just because I feel like that's so much responsibility to uphold. And it's like, oh my gosh. So anyways, I just wanted to add that. <laughs> yeah, those are, those are um, big shoes to, to uphold. Beautiful. Thank you for that wisdom. Yeah, I love it. And so you have five daughters and the one son I thought about the son, I was like, oh, is he in the middle? Is he youngest? Is he the oldest? I'm just curious that like he's around a lot of women. <laughs> he's the youngest. And and I can say he's really, uh, he's learned to, to listen to his sister's. He's so quiet. He'll sit and he'll listen to everybody's opinion. And and he's so protective of his sisters as well. So it's and me. And and me. He's very protective of me too. So um I, I always tell him that he's on the right track when he's listening to his sisters. Oh. Good, good, good young man there. <laughs> uh, and so I got the luxury to to see your mom and dad. That just made my heart melt when I saw them a couple of weeks ago, virtually. This is all virtual. You guys were there in person, but I got to see them. And gosh, I mean, they have so much wisdom. And I just love how they just showed up in their own way, like they're who they are. And I was really impressed with your dad and like how he just ask questions and he was still very curious mind, but also you can hear from his comments, tumble confidence and assurance in what he's questioning and what he's commenting. So I'm so glad you brought them and I'm glad that the medicine that they shared with us and just gentle things. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about them and how they really cultivated you as a person and and I just love that how you guys are still just so connected and working together. Okay. So when I was growing up, I was a tomboy. I always wanted to represent women in a strong way, I guess you could say, because they I was always told, oh, girls can't do this, girls can't do that. So I was always competing. <laughs> With the, with the boys, whether it was with marbles or whether it was football or running. And, and so I, I feel like that's something that my, my father helped to, to cultivate in me is that he always supported me in, in everything I wanted to do. If I wanted to 
join whatever it was that was like not normal for a female to join. He would support me. So, and then also helping him with different things like, like being in the fields because a lot of our traditional uh, Hopi farmers, you know, think of the women more, more or less as taking care of the, the gardens, the smaller gardens and, and not that that's not an important role because we also are seed keepers as well, but it's just more mainly the laborious tasks were left to the men to be in the field. So my grandfather also cultivated that in me. His name is Herman Lewis, and, and I'll talk more about him later, but he also brought me along to the ranch and we just kind of hung out on the rails. He had like red rails on the back of this old yellow fort pickup truck and it's those you probably see them around the res the iron rails instead of the a camper and and that's what he used to haul his cattle in and so I remember as a child my my mother would be telling us young girls aren't supposed to be climbing on those rails and riding around in the truck like that and so she would be telling her dad don't let them climb up on the truck when you're going up and down the mesa and so I remember as soon as we get around the corner out of out of my mom's eyesight, then we'd be climbing up to the top of the rails and we'd be standing on the top of those rails coming down the mesa. And I remember feeling so good as a child, so loved and so protected and cared for that I felt like I could do anything. I felt like I could fly. So uh, I would be standing on the top of those rails, holding on and just like putting my hands up in the air, like how they do for roller coaster rides, you know, because it's yeah. pretty steep coming, coming down the mesa. But, and that's part of what I want to cultivate in my kids, my own kids and my grandchildren. My parents always created a safe uh, environment for us. My grandparents did the same. And I'm living on the same land right now that uh, I grew up on. And it, it was actually uh, given to me by my mother. When you ask for land out here on Hopi, you have to go through clans because certain clans hold the lands. And so right now I'm on water clan land. And so my mother told me uh, early on that she wanted me to stay here and that I should get the land in my name. So it's not anything I own, of course. We don't own land. but um, uh, And the water clan, they just, I guess they're caretakers of it. They also don't own it. But as long as you're taking care of the land, you know, they don't have any problem with you being on the land. So I, I, I got a lot of that nurturing um, as I was younger and growing up. And, and so I really credit my parents with creating that healthy, loving atmosphere and my grandparents as well. And also, I just want to thank my mother for being the disciplinarian. She she was the one that really expected us to do our best all the time, put our best effort forward every time. And, and when you're a child and you don't want to do things perfectly, you just want to go play. It was really hard. I used to have this push and pull relationship with my mother. I was like, I don't want it. I just want to get it done and just go play or go do something. And so me and my mother had a heart relationship and we're actually working on that right now, you know, working to heal that relationship. And because it's something that she learned from her mother. So I don't want to be passing on. Uh, it's kind of like generational trauma to my own children. Mm -hmm. 
So it's a, it's a healing process that both of us are going through right now. And with my father, he was always there for me through thick and thin. When my mother would just throw her hands up and say, oh my gosh, you deal with her. You know, you explain to her why it's not, why she shouldn't be doing this or that, you know. And so my father was the one that was patient with me. If, if he wasn't patient with me, I don't know where I'd be right now, but he was very patient with me. And it was because he had a patient, loving mother to, to model off of. And so he was patient with me. And he always told me something that always, you're talking about other things at the conference. And one of them was rematriation. And I just want to share a little bit about that. I don't want to jump ahead right now because we're talking about my parents. But what, what he always told us was that we could come home anytime, anytime we felt in our lives that we needed to come home and just ground ourselves again and just rest and just get back on our feet. He told all of us that that we could come home anytime and, and just be there with them. And and it's different from what we learn in the in the white man's world is that you know they're everybody's ready to kick their kids out the door as soon as they graduate from you know high school then college you know they don't want to support them anymore but with Hopi society you always have your your daughters with you your daughters are yours to always have with you to help with with everything all the work and everything that goes into the ceremonies and just our way of life but the father uh, the the sons I'm sorry the sons you raise for somebody else because the sons are they usually end up with you know whoever they end up with and they move to where where the female is from so that's why my father is originally from Munkopi but he, as soon as he committed to being here with my mother, he moved here to Tewa and started taking part in our cultural ceremonies here. So beautiful. I love what your dad said about, you know, come home, rest, get yourself back on your feet. And I also appreciate you just also recognizing and just noting this, you know, like relationships with our parents can be hard, right? Mm-hmm. And and I find that, you know, my mom was one of, she was my first podcast guest and, you know, she went through a lot of trauma and she shares a little bit about, because she lost her mom at a very young age and was sent off to boarding school far, far away and, and never really had like a solid mother. She had a lot of trauma and myself and my brothers experienced the effects of that. And so mm-hmm. I appreciate you noting that because we too have been on this journey of really trying to really talk about hard things. Mm-hmm. And I'm also very mindful about how do I show up as a mother? You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to do certain things, you know, and yes. that also takes some grace for ourselves. So I just want to lift that because I think that's so important and there's so much healing that needs to happen and it takes time. It's not going to happen right away. That's right. Thank you for sharing a little bit about Mama and Papa. What about, i um, curious a little bit about your grandparents. Oh my gosh. Our grandparents were, uh, were my parents too. My, my own grand, I mean, my own parents were always busy uh, either working or um, going to school to get their degrees. So a lot of times we were left home with our grandparents. And so that was, um, 
like I said, that my grandfather cultivated that kind of wildness side in me. <laughs> and so um, we were always there at their home and uh, they they would take us along for different things, um, trips into Holbrook or um, in his old fort pickup or uh, to the ranch. We would go with him to the ranch. Um, my grandmother, we'd be helping her in the kitchen. She taught us how to make donuts. She was a, um, a, a cook at the boarding school in Keems Canyon. And so for many, many years, she cooked for kids from all over um, uh, a lot of Navajo uh, students went to school at Keems Canyon and into old age when she retired, they they enjoyed her cooking and, and the way she prepared her food so much and how loving she was with them that they used to come and check on her uh, as she was older and bring her food and and just and share with me stories and, and our family as well, stories of um, how their how her food Made, made them feel good because they were away from home, from their own family and parents. And I guess it made them feel at home. So, and that's a lot when you're dealing with that. You're not with your parents a lot when you're taken away to school. Actually, these kids weren't taken away. They were sent to boarding schools. But of course, that was uh, mandated, right, by the government. So I, I, I really value everything that they've taught me. My grandmother always used to say, haste makes waste, to be careful about not just rushing through things and to think things through. So it reminds me of what uh, Chef Nephi says about, um, is it Missin Plus? He uses that term. It's a, it's a chef, uh, a French term that, you know, that you have to have everything in place uh, before you start cooking, like all your ingredients, all what you're going to use to cook with. Mason plus, I think it's that's the correct way you say it. And so my grandmother was like that. So she was very organized. Her recipes that she shared with us and passed down were for um, enough to feed like two to three hundred people. <laughs> and so that's how she would cook. She would cook all the time for our community when we had different ceremonies. They, uh, she would. She's the in law to. Um, the Kachina clan, because my grandfather was Kachina clan. So she would be going full steam with making sure that everybody had food or whatever they needed. And uh, they called them Mitwis. Uh, she's the in-law. They call her Mitwi. Instead of, uh, as a sign of respect, they don't use her name. Uh, Clarabelle, they would they would call her Mitwi. Um, my father's, I mean, my grandfather's uh, family. And so watching her and growing up with her, uh, she did everything like like I'm sure most grand grandparents um, uh, did uh, in preserving food because they they went through hard times. They went through drought. They went through the different wars. So they knew what it was like to to be without food. So my grandfather planted this beautiful orchard for us and. Uh, made sure that we were all um, uh, eating from it all the time. Uh, my grandmother used to bake these delicious apple pies that uh, she, my grandfather uh, grew the tree for her, the specific type of apple she wanted to make those apple pies, the Granny Smith. So we actually have like three heirloom uh, trees in our orchard. 
and and what got us started on the path of of uh, trying to restore our orchard because after they had passed, um, our, our our family fell apart. Our family uh, we we used to have uh, family gatherings all the time at my grandmother's with my mother's sisters, and uh, after they passed, I could feel like you know our foundation wasn't there anymore. And it was really sad because we all grew up together and it was hard to uh, not be able to work through whatever it was that was keeping, you know, everybody apart. And so um, what we we just kind of left their, their orchard, you know, alone and nobody bothered it until we, we noticed, of course, we're living right beside them, that the trees started to die. And so we're like, okay, we can't let this, you know, we can't let this go. My grandfather and grandmother, you know, love their orchard. And and so we started as our family, uh, um, my mother's uh, family, we started to take care of the orchard. And that's where I think a lot of my healing began for me. Mm. Wow. And all three are are still doing well, the, the three trees? The three trees are doing well, um, and I, we actually have a, a Concord grape uh, heirloom also because that was there for, what, three generations? Yes. So so those are, um, like I said, that they, they knew what it was like to live without. So they always told us to be grateful, be grateful for what we have now because they, my grandfather told us, you're living an easy life. You're living an easy life. So, you know, you should be grateful. You're not dealing with war. You're not dealing with, with uh, drought, um, light conditions where they weren't, you know, relying solely on what they grew. They didn't have the grocery stores at those times. Um, and, and also um, all this the intergenerational trauma passed down from boarding schools. So there's a, there's a lot that we need to be grateful for. We're not struggling like they were. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I love this story. I really do. I just think it's so beautiful and how you all recognize, I mean, we're talking about a tree, right? But there's so much medicine in that. Yes. And like what it offered and how it fed so many folks and even the birds, right? Like mm-hmm. it offered so much. And I'm so glad that it's doing well and that you all are taking care of it. And and you're right. We And your grandfather's right. It, it is much easier, right? There are different kind of struggles now. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, but to just to even have the luxury of having more than two pairs of shoes. <laughs> That's mean, right. Real, right. So, <laughs> cause I think I look at the pictures back then of my grandparents and it was like the same, like the same shoe, like mm-hmm. one pair. Right. Thank you f- so much for sharing the story, a little bit about your mom and dad and your grandparents. Cause it helps me to get the color of, of you, Valerie. And like, Oh, now I, I, I can understand her love for Mother Earth, her love and her her passion and her drive. That tomboy who who's like climbing up right the rails, um, <laughs> who want to push back and fight for the environment. And you know, hey, you know, we we got to do this. So it helps me to see that, but also the the um, the the matriarch side of you in in 
wanting to, you know, educate, wanting to be mindful about our healing and and also the future generation. So it just helps me to make sense of who you are and the, and the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. So, um, so thank you. It, I, I wanted to transition a little bit to where you're at now. I feel like you definitely model not only like you do the work, you're doing your, your, your work as an organizer, environmentalist, but you, you really model it at home too. Like you like to be in the fields and the garden. And so maybe if you can talk a little bit about your work and what you do and, um, and then we can go to the next piece. Okay. So the work currently that I'm involved in is um, I'm the creative associate for our organization, which is Tutsquat Okautoinani, which means it's translated to helping the earth to gather her strength back. And so we started this effort um, years ago, I, I'd say back in 20, 2013, 2014, when um, we were uh, cleaning as a family on Earth Day. And and starting to notice the accumulation of trash uh, on the sides of the mesa, my father was the one who brought it to our attention and and sat us down as a family and told us that when he was uh, making one of his uh, pilgrimages out to, you know, uh, during one of the ceremonies that he said he could barely make it through the trash uh, on the trails, on the trails on the side of the mesa where he needed to put, you know, deposit some some feathers. And he said that it really uh, broke his heart because he said he feels like the, the earth isn't able to breathe. We're choking it out with all this trash. And, um, of course, um, in the past, our, our ancestors did throw their waste over the side, but that was more things like like corn husks, you know, things that were biodegradable, you know. It wasn't like all this plastic and, and what we're seeing now, metal and tin stuff, you know, that are uh, even cars are on the side of the mesa. Refrigerators, you can't, you can't imagine. And uh, so he, he felt that, he told us that we have to do something about this. He said, if no one wants to do anyone, anything about this, he said, he goes, I will, I will do something about this. And so he, when my father speaks, it's like everybody listens, you know, in our family and, and everybody just got quiet because, uh, he was really, he said this role vehemently, you know, he just kind of said it, and we don't he really hear my father speaking really angry, you know, in in that angry tone. And so we everybody just kind of got quiet and we could feel how his hurt. We could feel his pain. <clears throat> and so we decided then, okay, let's get better organized and let's start cleaning. So it started out just with our family cleaning and we would just clean around our area. We would clean up on the mesa top where, where we have another home at Tewa Village where my parents live now. And, and then from there, it just evolved into a, a bigger cleanup involving the community. And so we've so far with the community help, we've removed over 24 tons of trash from the sides of the mesa, and that's actually just on the Tewa side area. 
if you know First Mesa or if you're familiar with it, there's three villages located on top of First Mesa. There's Tewa Village, Sitsumovi Village, which is in the middle part of the of the Mesa, and there's Walpi, which is at the very end. And so just the trash accumulation over the years has been really bad and it's really damaging our plant life, our plant people that are trying to grow down there. And so it, it's really, it was something we knew that was going to be a big undertaking. But like my father said, if no one is going to do this, then, then we're going to do it. We're going to get it done. And we estimated at first that we would be done um, like within maybe six years is what our estimation was. And so we're like, okay, we can do this. You know, we're all gung-ho and stuff. So when we got to down on in the actual trash, <laughs> layers and layers and layers of trash, I remember standing in one place for two hours cleaning trash and wow. I didn't get to the ground. I didn't get to the ground and I just wanted to cry. I wanted to cry and I was frustrated and I was like, uh, instead of, because I was at first I was all nicely packaging the trash into the bag and I was like, okay, we're going to get this, get this bush on earth. And I was talking to the, to the bush there. I was like, okay, we're going to get your, you know, all uncovered. You're going to be able to breathe. You know, I was talking to the plant like that. And then after almost two hours, like I said, I was still at the same place and I was unearthing more and more layers of trash. And I was just like, what the heck? And I was like, just ready to cry. I, I practically was crying. And I, after a while, I was just throwing that trash out, just trying to get to the bottom underneath where, where that bush was. And I remember one of our helpers, the volunteers, which is a councilman from, from here, his name is Dale Sinqua. He told me to calm down. He said, calm down. He said, we're just going to do what we can do. He said, just calm down. He said, and he saw me. He saw me <laughs> just throwing trash everywhere. And so, and so he just told me to calm down. And, and just that calm demeanor, you know, his calmness, like kind of re resettled me. And I, I refocused. I was like, okay, Val, just breathe and just clean what you can. And that's what we've been doing. That's the approach that we've been taking. It's just that we're doing what we can in the time that we plan to do the cleaning on the sides. And then, you know, we're just going to have to leave the rest for another cleanup. So we're just scheduling cleanups as we go along and over the years. And so, of course, with the pandemic affecting, uh, uh, affecting, um, us from gathering together in large crowds, we had to do go hybrid, I guess you could say that's the word everybody's using. So we had virtual cleanups that we were promoting in the community on, on Facebook, on Instagram, through the newspapers and, and radio, our local radio station here, Guyi. Um, and so we were asking people to just clean around their homes you know, clean around their favorite running trails, walking trails, their gardens or fields, and to post pictures to our uh, Facebook page. And in the meantime, on the side, we were still gathering as a family and cleaning on the sides of the mesa by ourselves. And of course, we had to observe the um, 
like I said, COVID guidelines of groups gathering. So we had to minimize our group to 15 people. So there was more than 15 um, people. There was at least 40 volunteers that came to help us throughout the year at those in-person cleanups. And we had four in-person cleanups. And and so we would alternate, you know, who was going to be there or whatever. So to make sure that we were staying within those, those guidelines, because that's what we had assured our community the leaders that that's what we would be doing just because of the safety you know that we needed to keep everybody safe and also a lot of the projects that we are involved with we do get we do recognize our Hopi leadership first our our chiefs that are still here so we do get asked them for approval before going through any of the projects that we do. And and so far they're in, you know, they're in approval with all the projects that we've been doing, orchard restoration, erosion control on the sides of the mesa. Um, we're also doing, trying to, we want to restore our native plants. That's one of our projects that we're doing. But we're also meeting as a family and, and also trying to learn fluently our Hopi and Tewa languages, because we realize that our language and the land is tied intimately together. And so for our children to understand the depth of how we're tied to the land through language, uh, they have to learn the language because a lot of the words that are in Hopi and Tewa can't be translated in English. Uh, it, it loses something along the way. And so, uh, uh, we we all have to become fluent speakers, and and so we've been doing that since on uh, since the pandemic started. Uh, Six p.m. We gather over Zoom with our family, and 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 it's perfect for people who are you know our family who are living away because it was our way to stay reconnected with each other. Because I mean to connect with each other's because of course we couldn't see each other. They couldn't come onto the reservation. So it was really healing for us to just even be able to see their faces. And it and it also forced my parents to to kind of accept technology a little bit more because my mm-hmm. uh they they really were are always encouraging our kids not to be in front of the computer or TV a lot and and to limit their their screen time. And so when this was our only resort for seeing people and talking to people that were far away and gathering as a family, it, it really opened their eyes that, yes, we can use technology in all the good ways, you know, to connect to people. So it opened their eyes in that. And also my father has a Facebook page, I mean, a Facebook uh, account. <laughs> and so it was just it was so funny when he first he was like I have to see what's being posted on our Facebook page for and so he he was like I want to get on how do I do this so we helped him get his account my sister and I Marissa and people were commenting who's your father is that really your father on Facebook and then even our own family was like, I think our our father, my my kids, they call him Kwa all the time. That's grandfather. So is Kwa really on Facebook? I got a friend request, friend request from Kwa. I don't know if I want him to see all my posts. It was so funny. But anyway, yeah, so that's how we started. We started just with just cleaning up small um, around our areas. And now we're... Uh, 
just wanting to clean all the mesa from top to bottom. And it's going to take us at least 10 years now is what we're estimating. That's the, the, the hard reality is that because we're continuing to dump, some people are still continuing to dump despite our efforts. So there's a lot of healing in changing lifestyle behaviors, right? Absolutely. Wow. What just, like, it just brings me joy to hear your dad, like, just, this needs to happen. And I just think it's so poetic, like, Mother Earth can't breathe. There's just so much stuff on top of her. Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, I'm listening to you made me think a little bit about the tree, the orchid, the the, the seeds from that. And then, you know, hearing the connection about language and land, you know, we want to return to the land, you know, by, we need to lift this trash. We need to have it come back to a state where it um, is, you know, healthy, right? Mm-hmm. And then the language, bringing that back. And I know so much of us are not fluent in our indigenous language, our native tongue, that that's really important to come back. It All of this is making me think about this word that I've been hearing. And actually, when, when you said it, it really just got me more curious. And that's rematriation. Mm-hmm. Um Tell us, what does that mean and how are people using it and how is that connected to the the work that you're doing and you're continuing to do? So <clears throat> when I heard, first heard rematriation and I, I looked it up, I tried looking it up and uh, repatriation kept coming up. You know, it kept saying to me, do you mean, you know, repatriation? I was like, no, Google, I mean rematriation, you know. And so when I finally found a definition, what it said was, and I thought it was beautiful, is that rematriation is a powerful word indigenous women use to describe how they are restoring balance to the world. Rematriation means returning to the sacred of the, to, returning the sacred to the mother. I'm sorry. And so the difference, um, the difference between repatriation and rematriation, because we know repatriation is the returning of sacred items, funerary objects back to their respectful tribes. Rematriation is returning to the land of your ancestry. Rematriation carries a deeper meaning, which means returning the sacred to the mother, which is a returning to a way of life or one that lives with reverence for nature and all of life in the universe. So I was like, wow, that's what that's what we're trying to do, you know? That's what we're trying to do in, in the work that everyone is trying to get back to, is trying to get back to their roots. And so I just wanted to share something that just kind of stuck out to me when I was thinking about this podcast earlier this morning is that my grandfather always told us, uh, this is one of his quotes and I want to share it with you, is that another teaching is our farming. This way of life is not to be forsaken. Our fathers say that if we forget the corn, then starvation will come. There will be no rain for the rains come to visit the corn. And, and so my grandfather that I spoke about earlier was, um, he was a spiritual leader here at Walpi. He was the Katsin Mongwe, and that's the Kachina chief. So he, he wears the crown for a period of the time when the Kachinas are here during the year. And as soon as the Kachinas are sent home, 
he passes that crown <laughs> to the Kikmongwe, uh, takes over again. And the Kikmongwe is the father of, of all the people here, the chief, the main chief, one of the main chiefs. And so there's several chiefs that share that responsibility throughout the year. And so when he first said that to me, uh, first said that to us as, as, uh, as a family, it was, of course, I looked at it like you were talking about the different layers and you shared the story. And I love that you shared that story about the grandmother uh, talking about the different uh, learnings, you know, the three, the three learnings that you talked about. And so what I got from this when I first read it, and I mean, when I first heard it, and I, and I and I did write it down. Actually, I did write it down. I keep it with me all the time to remind me, you know, to stay on track. So the first thing I got out of it was that, of course, we can't give up our way of life. You know, we can't lose the corn. We can't. We have. We have to always have corn with us because that's our way of of praying, and it's our. It's it's involved with it. a lot of our ceremonies. Almost every ceremony involves corn in some kind of way, and so I, I thought about starvation because I know that my my grandparents went through those periods of starvation in their lives, and so uh, I thought about that because I, I was thinking about climate change and all of that, and and so wondering why we haven't had rains out here on Hopi for so long. It's been about about good four to five years where we haven't had very good rainfall. And in our family, we haven't had a harvest until just this year. So about four to five years, we didn't harvest any corn, which is really big for us because, I mean, like a in a not a good way, because we are corn clan and people come to us for corn. If they don't have corn for a ceremony or if they need corn husk for anything or they need uh, even for the, the baby naming ceremonies for the um, when you're putting someone away that um, passed away, you need corn. And so um, it's important that we always have it. And of course, we never sell it. You know, it's always given uh, to whoever needs it. And so it was really uh, devastating for my father when... Uh, we were not, he was not bringing in corn. We started to really get worried because our storage was starting to go low. And my mother was getting worried. She was like, you know, what are, what are we going to do if we have no corn, you know? So we just kept planting, planting faithfully every year. And, and we are grateful for, so for what we got this past year, it was only two cans, uh, two of those, uh, what do you call 50 gallon cans of, um, corn, uh, about estimated total. And so even if it was just that much, we were so grateful that we were able to harvest again. And, and so when looking back at, uh, this, when I read through this again, this morning, when I saw it and I was thinking to myself, we, we, we think everybody, well, not everybody, but most indigenous uh, tribes think of mother as, I mean, think of corn as the mother. I'm sorry, I'm getting all jumbled up here. We think of corn as the mother. And so um, when my grandfather said to not, you know, to never forsake our way of life and that to not forget about the corn, he he could have been talking or, 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 
the deeper meaning could have been never let go of our mother. And when we talk about rematriation, it's about returning the sacred to the mother. So in a way, we have strayed from that path. We have strayed um, in, in all the ways that we've been living our lives, all this violence against women and, uh, you know, missing, missing our, our sisters are missing out there. And so I feel like this is a deeper meaning and, and that I've just unearthed just this morning. And I was like, oh, my gosh, he's talking about the mothers, about about the moms uh, and the um, matrilineal uh teachings and our everything, everything that's Hopi, of course, is matrilineal. We are a matrilineal society. The fathers, brothers, uncles are there to support us as well. And they have their roles as well that are just as important. But the women are the ones that have the power to give life. And so I feel that his, what he was talking about also was referring to that was to not forget about the corn and to not forget about our mothers as well and our grandmothers and our sisters and our our aunts and you know and we don't say aunts in Hopi we say gas there are gas and so um I just really feel like uh in learning this this morning this deeper meaning I just felt like it came across to me just kind of kind of blew me away because I was like, okay, so I'm sure that after I read through it again, that I'm going to get another meaning out of this. <laughs> I'm so glad that you, you sat with that and it came and offered some deeper meaning to you and to people that are listening for the first time. I love also what he said about the rain misses visiting with the corn. It's like, even that is like a description of like how everything is so interrelated and relational. I got goosebumps the minute you were when you were reading that. So so beautiful and powerful. It also made me remember you talking about things are coming back. They're returning back to to us, like the children, certain seeds, the language. You know, when you had brought light to that, I was just like in awe listening. I'm like, yeah you're right. You know, it just got me excited, but also just this, I don't know how to describe the feeling when you're talking about it, but maybe a stir of just different emotions. And so um, I wanted you to talk a little bit about that or where are you at with that now? Okay. So yes, I, I, when I started to hear that the, the bodies from the children were being returned, um, back to their tribes and how they were unearthing more bodies at the boarding schools in Canada. It made me really think about, you know, what's really happening in the world. What's, what's really going on and what is this message telling us? What's the deeper meaning to all of this? Because that, as that was happening, we were having, um, there was also news of seeds being brought back home to their homelands. And there was also news of, of uh, lands being returned to tribes. And there was news of, of the waters even being returned back to tribes. So, so all of this, I feel to me, is uh, I felt like it was all coinciding with 
the bodies being returned um, back, our children's bodies, which we refer to our our children as as seeds, and we refer we we refer to to our seeds as children as well. I just felt like something deeper was happening. I just couldn't see it right away. You know, I was like, okay, can anybody feel this too? Like, like I feel like this momentum is building. It's building, and and I feel like all this time we've been getting this mistreatment and this. Um, uh, we've been pushed aside and made to think as less, and we've been, um, you know, walked all over, you know, in all all aspects. A lot of tribes, a lot of our indigenous people are still hurting and reeling from all the things that they've been through and they've been subjected to. And I feel like, like our time is coming. I feel like our time is coming soon because... You know, if we're getting our children back, and it and it was really, um, you can hear me feel it, feel me crying, <laughs> um, and just thinking about all those parents who didn't know what happened to their children, and they're finally getting their their bodies back, you know, returned. When you think about that, that that's of course what we're talking about the rematriation returning the sacred to the mother so if that karma is coming back around and that we're we're starting to uh see this shift in in the in uh just not just tribally globally you're seeing this shift and feeling it you know feeling this momentum moving so what what are we supposed to be doing now what should we be doing now you know to to um i don't know i don't know how you want to say to enlighten people <laughs> to like like mm-hmm. go to your neighbor and say hey this is all happening right now you know like what are we going to do to you know to change things in our own communities in our own homes you know, and and I realized that uh, along with the healing that everybody needs to do, uh, you want to go out and, like I said, tell people, don't throw your trash over the mesa. You know, uh, did you see the news or hear the news? You know, um, the children's bodies are are being brought back home. You want to do that, but you think about it, and you're like, okay, you can't get people to change their behaviors or to start caring about anything that's happening in the world unless they care about themselves first, unless they love themselves first. So that's something I had to learn for myself the hard way. Really, I was starting to get frustrated with with people and just like, does anybody care? It kind of almost feels like that sometimes. But of course, I know there's a lot of people who care. There's many, many people who care. And there's many, many people who are doing good work around, you know, the world. And so I I just sometimes get in those spaces where I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, how can we get people to, to, to see that something bigger is happening right now? And I feel like now's our time to move. You know, and and I just uh, as as indigenous people, I feel like we can we can reclaim our power. You know, we talk about this all the time. We talk about our resiliency, and and yes, darn right, we went through like so much. I feel like we we were like 
the earth, you know, underneath all those layers and layers and layers of trash. But we got to the bottom. We finally got to the bottom of that. And I feel like that's where we're at. So once you get to the bottom, there's only one way to go, right? And that's up. That's up. And so I feel like that's where we're at. I feel like we're at a space right now where we're, we're part of history right now. When people look back at this and, and see that during this time that all of this stuff was happening during our, our era, they're going to say, wow, it's going to be like like how people felt about the 60s and 70s. I wish we were there when we were marching in whatever, you know, whatever effort. And But it's going to be a reclaiming of us, of, of our identity, of where we are, and also to remind ourselves to never let go of that, of the corn to never let go of ourselves, to come back home. So that's where I feel. (laughs) I felt like it was something that was really happening, you know, like that people weren't aware of. But maybe, I mean, I know there's a lot of people that are aware of things like that, but it's just, um, I think my kids always laugh at me. They're like, oh, mom, you're so dramatic. They're like, they're like so used to my dramatic talk and my pep talks and everything. And they're just, sometimes they're just like standing there looking at me, like rolling their eyes, like, come on, mom. But I, I really do feel that. I, I feel that deeply, which is why I step back and, and all the work that I've been doing and all the frustrations that come along with it, I realized that I had to take care of myself. So returning myself to the sacred that's where that's where I'm beginning my work again (laughs) (laughs) so beautiful there's so much here there's so much yumminess here like it's like I'm sitting with you and we're eating some really good soup and (laughs) and just hearing all of this it just makes my heart swell my ears are full my heart is full oh it's just so beautiful and so thank you I, I, given where you're at and what you're doing, I, I would love, you know, I know you're bringing awareness and I, I, I wanted to bring this, this word, cause I'm hearing it seen it everywhere, you know? And so, you know, the listeners are, are hearing and probably for some, the first time hearing, oh, wow, wow. What sort of wisdom would you want to offer, you know, to our listeners about everything that we've talked about and where we're at, or maybe even sort of going forward and where you're thinking what would you want them to be thinking about and doing? And even if it's a small act or, you know, there's sort of this call to action, I guess. Well, for me, it came from finally looking within myself and seeing myself for what I really was. I, I went through a lot when I think about it and when I talk to people and I'm reminded of things and I can hear things in maybe their voices or their actions that remind me of people who are still hurting because I know because I was in that space, I I can feel it. I mean, I I don't know how I can explain it, but um, I'm not trying to say like I'm some kind of medicine woman or anything. (laughs) I'm just saying that I'm just saying that sometimes when I sit and talk with people just like you, um, I can I can kind of sense some things. And so I 
I just want you to encourage everybody to take care of yourself first. Take care of yourself first. Forgive yourself for past mistakes. Move on from those things. Don't keep punishing yourselves for it. You know, move on. Um, also, learn to love yourself just where you're at. And that's something that's really hard for me. I struggled with that my whole life. That's why I don't like taking pictures of myself. I have one, maybe two pictures of my whole high school time because that was a really traumatic time for me. I didn't care about myself at the time. I was involved with drugs and alcohol, and, and I just was living a lifestyle that wasn't honoring where I came from. You heard the stories that I shared earlier about my grandparents and my parents. They didn't model that kind of behavior. And so, you know, I, I had some trauma uh, in my life early on. And so it just evolved because I never talked about it. I never talked about those things. So please talk to people. Talk to someone that you trust, you know, and just start getting some of this out, out of yourself. Thing I always tell my kids that nothing's ever, ever too bad that we can't try to help you and support you and, and try to just love you through the whole whatever situation it is. And, and I always encourage them, you know, never try to take your life. That's something I did and I, I attempted to do. There's nothing ever that's so bad that, that we can't try to work things out. You know, I always tell them that. So pray powerfully. It's another thing. I always tell people to pray powerfully to just not get through the day, but to pray in a way where you're going to open up your gifts and share them with the world. Because all of us have our own special gifts. All of us do. It was instilled within us when we were born. We were personally chosen by our creator to be who we are today. So just think about all that and think about what, what they had to go through. Our ancestors, we talked about that. A lot of people like to romanticize about, about oh, I want to live back when they lived. And, and, and my daughter brought me back to reality. She's like, not me. She's like, I want to go to the kitchen sink and be able to get a cup of water. <laughs> And so, and so like, and I'm like, yeah, huh, that's, that's pretty cool that we can do that. You know, um, also, I just want to uh, remind people to eat seasonally, eat seasonally, because that's something that our ancestors did. And those foods come around at those certain times, because that's what our body needs in our own areas, in our own geography, our, we all have our own plants and our own medicines. And, and yes, they can be shared. Of course, they can be shared, and that's what happened a long time ago. And so we can bring that back, of course, definitely, but just wanting to encourage people, if you're eating seasonally, that's going to uh, help your body a little bit more during those times of the season, like the cold season's coming up. So make sure that you're uh, drinking lots of teas, you know, that's that's what they recommend it for helping to deal with this COVID uh, that we just went through this pandemic. Also, just want to remind you that about ceremonies. Our ceremonies were purposely created by our ancestors to produce a certain outcome. So try not to shortchange that. 
try not to take any shortcuts because you're not going to get the same outcomes if you take shortcuts. So you're always going to have to work hard for good things in life. So uh, that's just the way it is. <laughs> Unless you're uh, a millionaire and uh, you have a big old trust fund or something, and most of us don't have that. <laughs> so yeah, just remember that our ceremonies were made by our ancestors like that. And so don't, don't shortchange that. So thank you. Asquelly. Did I say that correctly? Yes, you did. You surprised me. My head just popped back up. <laughs> Asquelly, in my language, I'd say that's thank you. Um, mm-hmm. um, sister, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you. I appreciate everything that you went through to be here to harvest this wisdom that came from your grandparents, your parents, your Mm -hmm. children, and Mm -hmm. anyone and everyone that has connected to you, to the bush that you were trying to talk and and throwing trash around, to um, to just sharing that. I I just, like I said, I'm I'm in such a good place. I feel emotional just hearing all of this. Mm -hmm. And Listeners, I just want you to know, like, these are some really beautiful tips. There are hard things, you know. The first thing is, you know, to love yourself mm-hmm. and to forgive yourself. You know, don't don't let yourself go. And that's one of the hardest things to work on. It's a lifelong mm-hmm. journey to on that. Talk to somebody, you know. There's people out there who are willing to listen. Somebody you trust. I love this when you said pray powerfully. Mm-hmm. I, I love that because I'm human and there are days sometimes I just do quick prayer, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I, I totally agree with you because I feel like that's the same thing with ceremony. Like if my prayers are, you know, just sort of like really fast, right? Mm-hmm. That's the, the result I'm going to get to. And mm-hmm. so I feel like those are so aligned about what I put into it. And it takes commitment and time to really do that. And yes. eat seasonally. I love that in terms of that's what our body needs at that time mm-hmm. to, you know, that's part of the self-care too, right? And yes. so, so many beautiful wisdom that you're offering to our listeners. And again, from my heart, Asquali, I appreciate you. Oui, Asquali, thank you for asking me to, to share. Wonderful. All right. I look forward to the day where I get to actually see you in person, give you a hug. (laughs) Yeah, I look forward to that. So thank you so much again for your time. Thank you, listeners. And I will definitely reach out again. I know this is not going to be our last conversation. (laughs) Great. Thank you, Vicky, and sending you a virtual hug. I hope you feel it. (laughs) I hope to see you. I do. Bye. Bye.